Introducing Built to Last, a new podcast by American Express. I'm Elaine Welteroff, and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Through these important conversations, we'll hear how the Black business leaders of our past have inspired today's Black-owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Microsoft Surface and Teams. At CDW, we get the future of remote meetings works differently. Oh, going right from launch directly into a meeting, that could be awkward. But with Microsoft Surface devices with Teams orchestrated by CDW, the future works better. Touchscreen voice capabilities keep Teams engaged and productive, enabling you to always collaborate with confidence. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining. You have a spinach in your teeth. Thanks for the tip, man. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash surface. Hey, science fans. I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline podcast, which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that uh, is that is created to communicate the many facets of water so please check out an episode i've uh, i've checked out several i actually went back and listened to the very first episode which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world rivers lakes underground sources and to see how how delicate they are how prone they are to contamination this is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future and i highly recommend this podcast search waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app here we are everybody episode 99 of the podcast next week is 100 that's how numbers work uh, we're just one right after another um very excited next week is uh the second live here we are it went even better than the first one which is a lot of um a lot of listeners favorite and i'm also very excited because this is the week that i'm starting my tour my a good trip tour um my psychedelic comedy show that i've been working very hard on i've been working so hard to put this tour together if you want to know more about it you can always go to shanemossmauss.com. You can click on, if you put your mouse over the tour button, there will be a few different options. You can read the show description. There's a preview page where I've put up one. I'm trying to add more um, little little teasers for the show. And then there's a, a collection of a bunch of podcasts that I've been on recently promoting the tour. And, um, and and I've been gaining a lot of new listeners from that as well. So welcome, everybody, if this is your first or one of the first episodes that you've been listening to. Um, yeah, 75 Cities, uh, all about psychedelics. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. I'm trying to at as many venues that will allow it, and it 
makes sense to, um, and it works out, I'm going to be having a little kind of meet and greet Q and a thing. Um, if, if the venue is kind of set up for it. And so I look forward to seeing all of you out there. If you live in the United States, I will probably be uh, somewhere near you. 75 cities. Remember when I first started talking about this? It was 30, 40 cities maybe. That was 50. I think last week I said 65. I went to count them. 75 cities. And I'm still adding more. So please, please, please go through the list of cities that I'm in. Think of everyone that you know in those cities and spread the word for me. I have Facebook posts if you... You can mention some of your friends in them and all that good stuff. Anything, anything like that that you can do will help. I put a lot. I put most of my eggs in in this basket. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping this tour is a huge success. I'm quite confident that it will be. Um, the, shows have, the shows that I did before the tour were really successful. And so, yeah, I, I could not be more excited. And so I'm... Now I'm babbling. That's what I do when I get excited. And sometimes when I'm bored, I babble too. I don't, I don't just reserve babbling for special moments. But I'm excited now, and that's how I'm uh, choosing to use my babbling skills. Um, so anyway, but given that this is the, uh, the first week of the tour, I thought we'd have an episode about, um, about drug laws and advocacy. So I hope you enjoy it. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with Cap Packer, campaign coordinator at Californians for Responsible Marijuana Reform. Thank you, Kat, for joining me. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate you coming and, out. Oh, absolutely. To talk and about Proposition 64. Yes, yes. So let's get into it. So first of all, um, can you set up... So this... It, you you work for kind of under the umbrella of the Drug Policy Alliance, right? Can you can you kind of explain the, the different divisions and and what you specifically do? Absolutely. So I work for an organization called Drug Policy Action, and Drug Policy Action is the sister organization for Drug Policy Alliance. I see, because Drug Policy Alliance is who I first reached out to absolutely and, and, and so and, and you're all essentially they're the they're the same organization um it really has to do with uh campaign finance law um and and certain nonprofits aren't able to participate in campaigning um and because drug policy action is really interested in pushing marijuana reform here in california um that's the organization that i work for um, but we have the same values. It's, it's a sister organization, so we we do the same work. I I just do this work politically, um, and they do this work as a nonprofit. And so, and what's the proposition specifically that you're working on right now? Absolutely. So the the proposition that I'm working on is called Proposition 64. It's the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, and what it would do essentially, um, in its most basic form, would be to legalize marijuana for adults 21 and up in the state of California. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Right, I mean, that <laughs> seems uh, 
I mean, you can anyone can go in and get a medical marijuana card as things are right right now. Anyway, I don't I don't really understand what the I have a medical. Of course, when I uh, I got my <laughs> medical marijuana card, I had a legitimate pain issues and was on crutches and uh, and and so, but. I know I was one of the few people that walked in there that, right. that that was actually legitimately using it for pain management, which is people should just be able to use marijuana for whatever they want to use marijuana for. Right. No need to no need to uh, make up some fake condition. I mean, there are definitely people who need to use medical marijuana um, and, it, and it be for medicinal purposes. But um, Americans like marijuana. Um, and we feel as though it shouldn't be criminalized. People shouldn't be going to, to jail for it. And, and our organization feels as though, uh, legalization, regulation, taxation are just a safer and smarter policy, uh, than prohibition because prohibition doesn't work. Um, prohibition has never worked (laughs) with drugs and it was uh, when the scheduling started in the first place, every, uh, every researcher and every scientist that everyone was saying, don't. Uh, uh, prohibition won't work we shouldn't schedule these drugs and right. then they just did anyway and so now we have a a system um america has about five percent of the world population but we incarcerate 20 percent um of our population yeah and so it's 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 really 20 percent of our population is, yeah ha, uh, you mean has been incarcerated yeah okay we we incarcerate more people um than russia and China, America, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, the land of the free, uh, incarcerates more folks, uh, than any other yeah, we're, nation. Well, we're still one number one at something though, yeah, you I mean, know? So <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> right. I wonder what that trophy would look like that, like if a global organization Some gets sales. together and gives the U S a trophy for Mars, it'd be the saddest trophy ever. Um, so so one, what was because I'm not totally clear on the history of this California in particular legislation because I over the years several similar things have been on the ballot, right? Are, are you familiar with that? And and can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, we had just talked about how you know people can go into a a medical marijuana dispensary, you know, people can get a a uh, card very easily. Um, and the reason why that is, is because since 96, uh, California has had medical use, um, where if you are a medical patient, um, you would not be criminalized. But for, so for the past essentially 20 years, uh, California has had medical. Now, in 2010, uh, Californians tried to legalize marijuana, um, and that was through Proposition 19, um, and that was unsuccessful. It was a very, very close vote. Um, I think we, we, we lost by about two, two percentage points. Um, so very, very close. You could tell that, you know, California was almost ready um, to legalize. And then that didn't happen. Um, and then in 2012, we saw other states um, legalize. But it wasn't until October or fall of last year that uh, Governor Jerry Brown signed uh, the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act. Um, and that's kind of what has brought the entire 
uh, medical industry or what is trying to bring the entire medical industry under some form of regulations. Because for the past 20 years, uh, California has just kind of been like the wild, wild west when it comes to uh, cannabis. You know, no regulations. I mean, I think it seems to me like this is going to be a much easier fight than it was in 2010, just because of look around all of the all of all of the different legislation in every other state. Right. Um, maybe not every other, but but most states have have since um, legalized at least medical marijuana, which California was California the first or certainly one of the yeah, first. California was the first. California was the first to legalize uh, medical marijuana. Um, and you're absolutely right. There are now 27 states that have medical um, and four states and the District of Columbia that now have recreational. And so you're really starting to see a, a groundswell of support. Colorado, Oregon, Washington. What's the other? Alaska. Oh, Alaska, Alaska and Washington yeah, D.C. They need, you know, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this when I was kind of mocking the idea of of medical marijuana, and because certainly, you know, with prescriptions and everything else, there are people that take advantage of this, people that will make up that they have insomnia or whatever it might be. But the but the other side of it is that so many people. I mean, I know people that function at a much higher level when they smoke. That's not me at all. Like every individual is different. I I function at a much (laughs) – when I smoke marijuana, it's for – well, I have edibles for pain relief. I still have uh, uh, some issues with a foot. And then I have – and then I once in a while just at the end of the night – just to relax a little bit, I'll, I'll smoke, but it's, it's, if, if it's something that's helping your anxiety or it's some, I, I can't even believe that some people like get motivated on the marijuana, but there are lots of people that, that, that is the case. And so, and so the idea of having, having to go through I mean, yeah, maybe people people don't know their bodies well enough to to um, take chances with heroin or crystal meth or, or even alcohol. Really, I mean, alcohol is probably the most dangerous drug on earth, or or at least for how prevalent it is, right? And and how accepted it is, um, and and incredibly addictive, but. I, I mean, uh, marijuana, like there was a period of time in my life where I smoked tons and tons of weed. It was just my favorite thing in the world. It eventually <laughs> got a little old to me. Yeah. And I just kind of didn't care much about it anymore. But that's, it didn't, it, that really kind of proves the point that I'm trying to say is that it's not really an addictive thing. It was like almost the more that I smoked it, the less I was interested in it. And it kind of corrected itself. And, I think that people should, when it's something as benign that's been tested to be as benign as marijuana, people should be able to kind of feel out for themselves what works for them. Because, it, I mean, you can talk to people all the time that'll be like, oh, I hate indica or, um, or I only have indica or sativa, whatever it might be, and... Um, and I only like it in this particular setting circumstance or absolutely. And setting. And people can figure this out better than any doctor's ever going to really be able to tell them. Absolutely. You know? Um, so so what what is 
what is the path that you guys are taking toward um because you're a campaign coordinator what is the path you're taking toward getting this proposition passed well um first and foremost i think that a lot of people had this uh conception that marijuana is already legal here in the state of california um, because of how lax the the regulations have been, and you know, you can walk down, you can go to Venice Beach right now, um, pay forty dollars, pretty much, and, and get a medical marijuana card. Yeah. Um, and they'll point you right towards <laughs> the dispensary that you can get your marijuana from. And that was the when I came to California and, the first time. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. I went to Venice Beach. Uh, <laughs> found a little you know people wearing a green costume (laughs) it's like a cartoon right i I paid (laughs) i paid my 40 dollars and i went and i got my marijuana um and that type of system um it it doesn't really work um and why the reason why i say it doesn't work is because it, it creates this uh false sense of security that uh marijuana is legal um but Essentially, in California and in, in the nation, really, uh, marijuana is only legal for certain communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that in California specifically, there have been close to a million arrests um, where marijuana, you know, where you can go to the beach and get marijuana. In California, we have had half a million arrests um, for marijuana in the past decade. Um, and, and what we see is that those arrests have largely been against uh, communities of color. And so we see uh, large minority black Latino communities being arrested um, for minor nonviolent marijuana uh, offenses. Um, And so our organization, Drug Policy Alliance, um, is a nonprofit organization committed to ending the war on drugs. Um, And and they do this work through three different uh, buckets of work, essentially. Um, So we work on reforming marijuana laws. Uh, Drug Policy Alliance has participated in um, every single legalization campaign that has taken place thus far um, that has been successful. We've also participated in uh, the legalization of marijuana in Uruguay. Um, And so we do marijuana reform. We also do criminal justice reform. What what in Uruguay? Mm -hmm. What what are you doing there? Um, We participated in the legalization campaign um, there, and so they have completely legalized. Uh um, It's one of the only countries that have like completely legalized for recreational use. Um, And our uh, our executive director Ethan Nadelman, who who's a co founder, who who co founded uh, or founded this organization. really just wants to see a a place where people aren't criminalized for um, autonomy, for their agency, for making decisions for themselves, for taking drugs that aren't harming other people. Right. Um, and so part of that work, you know, I, we do marijuana reform, but also what we do is we do criminal justice reform. So to try and take away penalties um, that are attached with drug-related behaviors. Um, and so one of the really cool things about this initiative that we're working on here in, in the state of California is that it, it really is a criminal justice bill. We, we change, you know, felonies to misdemeanors and misdemeanors to infractions um, because we don't want to see people have marijuana arrests. Um, and the last thing that the, the drug policy Alliance does that last bucket of work is harm reduction. Um, and so just approaching drug use from a, a public health perspective, as opposed to a, criminal, you know, trying to sanction that activity with criminal penalties. 
Um, and, and, and for listeners, in, in case you haven't heard, we, we've talked in past episodes, we've talked about, um, uh, about some of the drug laws definitely having a bias against minorities. Um, but in case, uh, in case listeners, um, uh, which aren't my, <laughs> my, my listeners like statistics and statistical reasoning, but for those of you that don't and are skeptical, maybe thinking statistics are being manipulated or whatever. How about some anecdotal evidence? I'm a wholesome looking white dude <laughs> from Wisconsin, and I have been pulled over <laughs> with so many drugs on me in my life with my car reeking of weed. I've gotten it. I've, I've <laughs> had so many close calls and been absolutely let go with stuff that Stories that if I if I told like most any minority they would they would be shocked like what you got away with what the cop said what do you it is a real it's an absolutely real issue yeah it's a it's a real issue and and we're seeing that um, I mean just in the state of California blacks are five times more likely to be arrested for uh, a marijuana offense and we're only about you know, five to 12% of the population. So if you're only five to 12% of the population and you're four to five times more likely to be arrested, um, that's a problem. Um, and when we talk about marijuana arrests, there are, there are a lot of consequences that come with a marijuana arrest. So for instance, um, you can, after having a marijuana arrest on your record, uh, you can put, you can be discriminated against for public housing. You, if you have, if you're a student, uh, you lose your ability to get an educational loan, um, and it's only drug offenses that qualify. So you could literally be a rapist or a murderer, um, be convicted, spend your time, and you can get a loan from the government. But really, have a marijuana arrest on your record? It's drug felon. It's 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 uh, drug crimes um, that you will lose your financial aid for. Um, and so there's effects for employment. There's effects for housing. Um, you could potentially, you know, marijuana use could be used to deport you. You know, if if you are uh, if if you're not a citizen um, and and you are found to have be in possession of marijuana, you could potentially be uh, deported. Um, in 2013, marijuana possession was the most common deportable offense, um, and so we're really seeing marijuana and marijuana arrests be used specifically in certain communities um to you know get rid of get rid of folks um to disappear people so is this is this even people that are they're here on like a visa or whatever they're legally traveling visiting work visa whatever it might be and they get a marijuana arrest and they'll deport them absolutely um, it's, 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 it allows them to be I, deported. I just didn't people want people are, to think that this was just an issue of illegal immigrants. You know, no, I mean, it's marijuana is non-medical marijuana is illegal, you know, in the, in the state of California. And so if you're doing something illegal as a uh, citizen or a non-citizen, you know, if you're a citizen and you have certain rights and you're doing something illegal, you know, you're going to go through our, our criminal justice system here. But um, if you're doing something uh, illegal and you are not a legal resident, then you can immediately get deported. Um, and so we're seeing families being, you know, broken up um, and, and ripped apart by a plant. Where here in the state of California, people are people are making big money, um, and so you're really starting to see this dynamic of uh, um, black and brown folks being arrested 
um, and not being able to uh, participate in the industry. And then the industry is developing and it's largely uh, dominated by white males. And so there's a there's a narrative that's being created. Um, and, and part of what our campaign is doing, uh, Californians for Responsible Marijuana Reform, we are trying to reach out to and educate uh, communities about what legalization is, what it means, why it is a safer alternative than prohibition, um, and working with community leaders to to make sure that um, communities know that legalization will mean for them whatever they decide. Um, and so, you know, as an as an African American female, I've been you know trying to do outreach in the Black community, um, and I meet with. Uh, black community leaders sometimes, and they say, well, you know, marijuana is going to destroy our community. Um, And I say, you know, if you say that, then absolutely. You know, if you claim that, then absolutely marijuana is going to destroy your community if you say it's going to destroy your community. Um, But that's a a narrative that's largely been fed uh, to to communities. And so I, I really encourage people to one, understand why marijuana was made illegal in the first place. Um, and for, for folks who don't know, um, it was a man by the name of Harry Anslinger. Um, back in 1937, he was the director of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics is the predecessor to the Drug Enforcement Agency. Um, and Harry Anslinger was just like full prohibition. He didn't want alcohol legalized. He didn't want any of the substances um, legalized, but what he said was that uh, marijuana made uh, black men think that they were as good as white men. And this is the director of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. So it's actually not surprising at all that we see uh, marijuana arrests being targeted and enforced in communities of color because that's how it started. In actuality, the term marijuana, um, you know, marijuana... It's cannabis. It's cannabis. The only yeah. reason why we started calling it marijuana is because we wanted to associate it with uh, Latinos. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to create this fear of these uh, Latino reefer smoking crazies that were running around in the streets. We wanted to create that narrative um, so that we could use fear to drive people to uh, criminalize folks. Yeah, and this is just a bunch of scared people in the 1930s. Yeah, I mean, I, I've and, been I mean, scared in the 1930s too, so I'm glad that uh, that's not where I uh, landed on this earth, but that's exactly what was going on. I mean, and in his defense, it is possible that maybe marijuana was making black males cooler. Hey, um, so, this is, so, so well, that, that well, what was going on is that uh, this is a time where uh, black jazz musicians were thriving. And so what was going on is that you'd have these, and this was one of the first times, I mean, 1937, I don't, I don't even know what was going on in 1937, but I'm glad that, like I said, I'm I'm glad, I'm glad that I wasn't alive during that era. But what was going on is that, um, these black jazz musicians were, were meeting in place called tea pads. Um, and these tea pads were these marijuana lounges, Mm. um, where people could like smoke a marijuana cigarette for like five cents, um, but it was really where blacks and whites started to <laughs> blacks and whites started to hang out. I mean, and it's the same thing now. It's um, you know, the the way that I feel about it is marijuana brings people together, like people that would never have conversations. I was just uh, I was just uh, at Malibu Beach yesterday, and some random guy walked up to me and was just like, "Hey, do you have rolling papers?" And like that was like how you know they segued into the conversation, but. Um, 
marijuana back then was bringing folks together that normally wouldn't, you know, we were in a segregate, you know, our, our communities were segregated. Um, and, and because marijuana, you know, uh, transcends, you know, racism and all of these other things, people were starting to mix and mingle and other folks didn't like that. Well, it just makes you relax. <laughs> right. It's just like, yeah, what's up? Humans are scared, <laughs> nervous people and worried about pe- anyone. Brought that's that anxiety down. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I was I'm forgetting now what I was just about to say. Um, well, that's okay. I, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's just the idea. The thing that's frustrating to me is just like, and e- even big pro pop people aren't going to like me saying this, but marijuana is just like so incredibly boring. It's, <laughs> it's just like, it's the most benign thing in the world. Is it, if you smoke too much marijuana, you're going you go to, <laughs> yeah, go to sit, go to sleep. Yeah. You're going to sit on, on a couch and maybe fall asleep. Yeah, you, like, might, you might order a pizza. Yeah, and fall asleep before it gets there. Before before it, before it arrives. So absolutely. I, I mean, just don't get what the what the issue is. I think is that with a people. prohibition and making it illegal has made it more cooler. I think that I th- I think that uh once and I think that because we have 27 states now that have medical and we have Four states plus D.C., um, five states this November uh, will have an opportunity to, to vote. Um, but I think within, within the next 10 to 15 years, um, and especially because there is this this profit motive that's going on now across the country, you're going to see uh, everyone's going to legalize. Every state is going to legalize. Yeah, all um, the tax money that they're go- going to get and are getting from places like Colorado. And, and then marijuana is going to be boring. You know, once it becomes legal, people who want it will, will do it and there will still be people who are not interested and they won't do it and everyone's going to go about their business and we're going to sit here and wonder why we arrested folks for decades. Yeah, and I, I mean, not, and this is a pretty trite argument um, that I'm about to make, but uh, it, I still feel like it needs to be said for <laughs> for those that are still worried about marijuana being this like evil gateway drug, which is really the best argument that they can make these. It's it's really just confessing that, okay, we know marijuana actually isn't bad, but what it will do right. is it will lead to bad stuff, which is, I mean, alcohol is, alcohol is what lowers inhibitions and makes you make horrible decisions. And, uh, and I mean... Um, I say in my act, cocaine and marijuana go together like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I mean, it's just that that's, that's what it's the number one gateway drug. But uh, the, I, I mean, the only level at which marijuana is a little bit of a gateway drug is just merely the fact of if you're raised like I was to think all drugs are the most evil thing in the world and only bad people do them. And then you get a little older and one day you experiment and you do smoke a little bit of this crazy marijuana stuff you heard and you nervously uh, have a puff of, of this evil, evil substance your parents in school have warned you about and you get a little high and you realize, oh, this is what all the fuss was about. Right. So all of these other drugs must not be uh, terrible exactly. either. And so that's that's really what the uh, you know, the, the classification that we have with marijuana is 
is really uh it's really disadvantageous to us because what we're saying is that marijuana is is just as uh harmful as these other substances and so you have someone who tries marijuana and they're just like well that was interesting um what are these other drugs like that are listed in the same category because or that was a just a lower category right, or a lower it's, category uh, marijuana is so, a schedule one that's the absolute worst so right. marijuana is the absolute worst drug right uh, and uh, Cocaine's a schedule, <laughs> right? Uh, exactly, and so yeah, you you you're really confusing. I, I think that the the government is 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 really doing a disservice to citizens by um, allowing that type of miseducation to proliferate over and over again hmm. um, because it's it's just not true. And and who owns the you know the the uh, the patent uh, on on uh, medical or on marijuana? The government, um, and so. They have yeah. a patent on marijuana. the The government owns a uh, a patent on, I believe it's called an I believe it's called Marinol, um, mm. which is the the synthetic form of of marijuana. And also, what you're doing. So now we just transition into talking about synthetic marijuana. Synthetic marijuana is super super harmful, mm-hmm. um, and we see all of these cases where people are actually overdosing on synthetic marijuana because there is a demand for marijuana um, and because people either have like these drug tests that they don't want to fail or they don't want it to show up in their system, they are using synthetic marijuana and people are dying uh, from synthetic marijuana, I've not seen real a few marijuana. Of those, I've seen a few of those marijuana. videos of like people on the streets ripping their clothes off and like doing weird stuff. And that's not yeah. marijuana. That's, that's synthetic marijuana. Yeah, we should call it something else. Yeah, we should. We, we shouldn't even call it. Yeah, you're right. We shouldn't even call it synthetic marijuana because the the association is deadly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, does the Drug Policy Alliance and um, I'm I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the sister organization. Drug Policy Action and Drug Policy Action are they a national organization then? Right. And so, what are are they doing? Are they doing? They must be doing similar things like this at every level and in different states as well. No matter what kind of uh, where where a different states at. So if a state is, are there any state? How many medical marijuana states did you say that there? Twenty seven. Twenty seven? Huh. I thought there's more than that. Um. And and there's there's going to be a bunch more. I think. Right. After. And there's just. I mean, states are. I think Virginia could potentially. I was just reading something this morning. I get these alerts sent to my phone, and Virginia could be one of the next states that legalizes. Ohio just legalized this year medically, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I think the number is, is twenty-seven. It's somewhere between twenty-six and thirty. Um, but five states this November will get to decide on recreational. Well, so what I was wondering is, so if they're doing something kind of similar in each state, it does, um, uh, do these organizations, are they also, um, Drug Policy Alliance and Drug Policy Action, are they doing things on the federal level as well? So yes, our, our organization uh, does work at the local level. Um, so we, we do work here within the city of Los Angeles. It's local. Um, we do state work. Um, and then we also are, are, are doing work at the federal level. Um, and we have, uh, we have offices in a number of states. We have offices in New York. We have uh, our national office in DC. Um, just in California, we have an office here in Los Angeles and in Oakland. Um, but truly, 
any type of legislation um, or opportunities for reform for drug policy that have anything to do with marijuana prohibition, criminal criminal justice as it relates to drug policy, or uh, this this public health and, and harm reduction. You know, we're everywhere. We're we're doing we're doing as much as we can. Um, whenever, whenever we can, because we realize that there are, you know, there are consequences to the work that we do. Um, and there are, there are lives that are at risk and improved by the work that we do. So it's actually, uh, very cool. I've only been with the drug policy action, um, for about two and a half months now, but I've, I've truly found a home in this organization and, and, you know, it's an organization that supports communities that I belong to. Um, and so I'm, I'm able to, to get behind it wholeheartedly. I was curious, uh, you may not have an answer for me, um, but I, I know one of the things that gets brought up is, is, um, and I think this is a legitimate concern, is the idea of uh, driving well, well high and the inability to test for it. Do you, do you know, is there, are there any current ways to test for marijuana that, uh, because the problem is, is, is people will, um, who was it that I had on Brad Burge? Is I think is that uh, people will go to the hospital, they'll be in like a drunk driving accident or something like that, or whatever might happen. They end up in the hospital, they test their blood, and they find that there's marijuana in their system from like a week ago. Who knows when? And that's kind of like a ding on... Right, and then it gets used as a statistic for, you know, we don't want people, you know, this is a person who was under the influence of marijuana and there was some crash, and that, that's really just bad science. Um, right. And so, and, and part, of the, part of the issue is that um, people want to treat impairment like alcohol impairment, and they're not the same. Mm. Um, and so with... With alcohol impairment, we have a very clear, established level that society has agreed on, um, and that's this, you know, you know, this blood alcohol content of of point zero eight. Um, and we know that if you're if you're over that, then you are considered to be uh, legally intoxicated and impaired, unable to drive. Um, with marijuana, um, THC can stay in your system for you know weeks after. Uh, use particularly if you use on a regular basis um, and so some states there's 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 two um, methods of, of determining impairment that have really cropped up thus far um, and that's having a per se um, level of impairment which says that if you are you know if you're pulled over and you have any THC in your system um, they're going to treat that as as you being impaired um, and then this other this this other method is uh, actually having uh, a set level of of impairment, um, and, and and neither of those really really work because, as we discussed, THC can stay in your system for a very long time, and so um, unfortunately, the science really isn't there, um, and we're going to have to figure out something. Um, some sort of some some sort of method, right? And and that trust me that I've I've been at these conventions and and people are are ramped up to find this technology. Um, and I, I think that it will exist here pretty soon. But I'm I'm nervous about it just because as someone who uses marijuana on a regular basis, um, I I don't want them to set the you know the the per se limit or that limit so low where you know. 
I was, you know, smoking three days ago and now I'm driving um, right. and, and I get pulled over and, and that's going to have, you know, serious implications. Um, and so we just have to make sure that um, whatever science behind it is good science and that it's fair science, um, because, of course, we want our roads to be safe. Um, but we also want citizens to be safe from, you know, being arrested and criminalized for things that aren't harmful to to other people. And so one of the things that our initiative does, Proposition 64 actually gives $3 million a year to the California Highway Patrol to train officers on how to detect uh, marijuana impairment. Um, a lot of our opposition likes to, you know, they like to use the the DUI arrest or the marijuana impairment arrest as a uh, means to, to knock us down. But um, the truth of the matter is, especially here in the state of California, uh, cops have been arresting people for marijuana impairment this entire time. It's not as if, you know, people aren't being arrested. So there are ways um, to detect impairment. Um, and a lot of that is that you just have uh, experts who are able to recognize people's behaviors um, and cops have been arresting people using this method. So if we sit here and say that that method doesn't exist, then I want all the people who have been arrested, you know, for that method um, to to get some type of restitution and justice. Um, yeah. Because we know that people have been arrested for driving under the influence of marijuana. And so for like if that technology doesn't exist, um, I'd like to represent those people. I think that um, I I think that I'm an expert. I guess because I think it's pretty clear. I I could kind of sniff out if someone's high or not pretty easily. It it doesn't. Uh, it right. doesn't they, I, I, they they could just put me in a car and I I would work just. As yeah, well you should as like solicit dog. your uh, solicit your expertise. You can. Uh... Oh yeah, that dude's high. <laughs> that dude's definitely high. <laughs> I can tell in no time. Um, I was curious in in and if again if you don't uh this isn't this isn't a question that's specifically about your work so if you don't have an answer for this this is fine um in places like California and, and probably this this is a uh, a little more um of an issue or or prevalent in places like Washington or Colorado where it's completely legal is there any action being taken in regards to um drug testing and employment and in regards to kind of getting marijuana off of because they don't test for alcohol right during a drug test because alcohol is a legal drug so uh, are there any steps being taken so that um people can have a joint on the weekend if they right. want to, like, rather still than keep their go employment. out and get blackout drunk, uh, right? Is, is there anything in on that front that um, the organizations are doing? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure of any specific work that that's being done, but it is still an issue. And and in most states that have, in all states that have legalized, um, states have been able and employers have been able to retain their drug free workplaces, and so. Nothing that has been done has affected an employer's right to fire someone for their use of marijuana across the board that still exists in every state that's legal. It's funny because it's always it's always the worst jobs that drug test the most. I know doctors that don't get drug tests that like operate on people right. and they don't get drug tests. Whereas I worked in some crappy factory where I probably would have done a better job if I was high. Um, and... <laughs> 
and they drug tested like crazy. Um, but anyway, that's all besides the point. If that's not anything that the organization does, I was curious how how your um, how how when you're going out, you said you were telling me before the podcast you're about to kind of launch the street campaign, and I mean I think you kind of touched on it mm-hmm. a little bit, but but um, how so has it started already or? in this coming week absolutely i mean part of it has started already and and californians for responsible marijuana reform we are are really advocating and educating communities about the social and criminal justice aspects of this initiative so it's a 62 page initiative it's super comprehensive um and there's there's a lot in it and and so of course in the initiative it, it breaks down the structure of the regulation, um, all of these different entities that will be handing out licensing. Um, it also talks about all of these broad uh, criminal justice reforms. So by and large, the only two felonies that are going to remain on the books in the state of California for marijuana are going to be selling to a minor and home butane extraction because we don't want folks blowing themselves up. Mm-hmm. Um but part of the work that we've been doing is trying to what what's, no, ho- what's home for butane extraction? Um, it's a it's a process by which so there's you know there's there's different types of of cannabis. Um, there's flowers, there's edibles, there's concentrates. Um, and in order to make these concentrates, uh, a lot of the times you have to uh, do a method of chemical extraction uh, using butane, um, and it's really unsafe. Um, people really need to be trained um, in order to to do this type of extraction. And so uh, we don't want people blowing themselves up at home. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's a that's sure. a great public policy. We don't want folks. <laughs> yeah, we don't want people. we don't want folks blowing themselves up sure. at home. Um, and we also don't want. Yeah, I'll vote for that. Yeah, and don't we blowing yourself up. And we don't want people selling to minors. Um, and so those are really the only felonies that are that are going to remain on the books. But part of what we've been doing is is trying to um, work in those communities that have been most harmed. Um, and be, because personally. Um, I, I feel as though these communities almost have the most to gain by legalization. There are going to be communities that aren't being harassed anymore. Our initiative explicitly spells out that uh, marijuana will no longer be used as or, or seen as contraband. Um, and so that language in itself just allows, uh, it gives a lot to these communities because uh, police use contraband to stop and frisk people. You know, and if if marijuana is no longer contraband, then police officers can no longer uh, just by the smell of marijuana or seeing marijuana on you, uh, pull you over um, and and stop and frisk you and then, you know, harass and detain and, and do all of these things. And so um, there are communities that are uh, that have been have been harmed. And we want to make sure that these these communities uh, don't feel as though they're just ran over by legalization because legalization is coming, you know, um, essentially I, I tell folks this all the time. Legalization is inevitable. Um, but good legalization isn't. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot, there are lots of different policy decisions that legislators or people who are drafting these types of initiatives can make. And it could be something as simple as, you know, do we want, uh, dispensaries to be 600 feet or a thousand feet away from schools. Do we want, 
you know, do we want to, what, what do we want the tax structure to be? Because if we tax too high, you know, if marijuana becomes too expensive, then people are going to continue to use the illicit market. And so there, there are all of these different policy decisions. There are probably 420 uh, policy decisions that, that can be made. Um, and so good legalization isn't inevitable. Um, and so we want to make sure that these communities and all communities can participate in what good legalization means. Um, and our work doesn't end on election day. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping and, and we're polling as if, um, we're going to be successful on election day, but election day is really just the start, um, of our work. We need to monitor the different agencies that are participating in the licensing. We want to make sure that communities of color can can get licensing. It would be a shame if, you know, the folks who bore the brunt of the arrests uh, don't get to participate in the industry. And so in some states, specifically like in Colorado, um, within their initiative, if you have a drug felony, you can't participate. You can't get a license. And that's stupid. Like to me, that's stupid. <laughs> it seems like it. That's that's like having a degree, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like essentially, you're you're saying that the people who have the most experience, we don't want you. Yeah. Um. And so our initiative specifically says that if you have a drug felony, um, that cannot be used to mm. bar you from getting a license. And so it's th- those small, you know. What, what might seem like a small policy decision could have large implications. Um, um, and so we, we want to make sure that everyone has access to the industry, that people can participate, um, and that, that folks are educated. We also don't want the industry to take advantage of certain communities. Um, and so it's really going to be going out into these different communities, letting them know about Proposition 64, letting them know what what steps are going to need to be taken after the initiative passes. Um, and we want those folks to have a, a seat at the table. And a lot of the times these conversations are going on. I've been meeting with um, just in the past two months, I've met with almost every Los Angeles city council member um, or their reps. Um, and I know that these council members are being lobbied essentially by all of these different organizations and businesses to make sure that their interests are, are taken into account as these legislative decisions are being created. And so we really want the, the community's voice to, to have a seat at the table as well. And so that's part of the work that, uh, that drug policy action drug policy Alliance is committed to doing. And hopefully getting it descheduled federally eventually would be, I mean, I, I I think basically it's just uh, I I think a lot of people would agree is that it's just going to be like people are going to look at Denver or or Colorado and in Washington and Oregon and what was the Oregon, Washington, Colorado and Alaska. And they're going to see all of the tax revenue coming in. <laughs> California. And then they're going to be like, oh, okay. And I think that California is really going to be like the catalyst that moves everything forward because an independent state uh, analyst determined that when the California adult use industry is up and running, it's going to generate over a billion dollars in tax revenue. Um, Colorado is, is pulling in about $125 million a year. Um, and California is going to be a billion, you know, a billion dollars. And so it's, there's a lot of money. Yeah, um, the feds are going to want a taste of that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, once, once they get, once they get their hands in this, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a, a very interesting game that gets played, but we're committed to playing.
Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as long as it's legal, we, we can sort out everything else after that. Let's just get it descheduled and so so that growers that are legal in states where they have the legal right to do this can't get busted by the feds at any given moment that they feel like it. Right, and that's part of, you know, what's up in the air right now with this uh presidential election, you know. A lot of a lot of what's happened as far as marijuana reform has happened under the Obama administration and so you know things could change. Yeah, if we have a law and order <laughs> president. Jeez, uh, law and order. Yeah. I hope he's talking about SVU. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's my favorite um, type of law well, and order. Um, hopefully there's enough intelligent people in this country so that won't happen. Um, but I if people want if people want to contribute, if people want to get involved, what what should uh, what should they do? Absolutely. So um, we have a website. It's legalizeca2016.com, CA as in California. Um, and that's where that's where all of our information is is housed. We also have a, a Twitter account, legalizeca2016. Um, that's our that's our Twitter handle. Um, and we're really we're really going to be everywhere. Um, we're you know, we're in, in NorCal, we're in SoCal and we're, we're really I think at this point we have like 37 days or so left until the election. And so it's, it's really crunch time. And we really want folks to get excited about the initiative. Um, there are about 17 initiative that initiatives that tried to qualify for the, for the ballots, try and legalize California here in this here. Um, and we're the only initiative that has made it thus far. Um, and so if you want legalization, this is your initiative. Um, I tell folks um, it's not a perfect initiative, um, but it's our, our, ne- our best next step forward. Um, and there will be many more steps to come, but we need to get this. We need to we need to clear this hurdle first. Um, and so I, I hope folks are are just as enthused um, and and will vote yes on sixty four um, on election day. What what about people who aren't in California? Um, for for folks who aren't in California, please please stay engaged with the work that the uh, Drug Policy Alliance is is participating on. They have a really cool website. Um, their website gets updated every day with with current events and how it affects um, drug policy. Um, and, and their website is drugpolicy.org. Um, and, and really, you can find out what's going on nationally. We're the only um, and leading drug policy organization. Um, and so you're, you're going to be hearing a lot, a lot more from us as states continue to, to legalize because we are the experts. All right. Well, thank you very much, Cat Packer, for joining me. Thank you. Um, I, this was a wonderful, and I hope my listeners would agree, reasonable discussion <laughs> about drug laws. Let's create more reason and more freedom for everybody. Agreed? All right, guys. Um, thank you so much. You're wonderful, inquisitive, and interesting people. I'll talk with you next week. All right, everybody. Episode 100 coming out next week. Please make sure and download it. It's going to be a fun one. It was a fun one. It already was. You just haven't heard it yet, and so you don't know that. So it's going to be fun for you. Um, It was a really fantastic episode. I'm really, really, really hoping to do many more live episodes in the future. I think we're about a year off from that, but I'm trying to plan and put some things together and figure out the logistics of that and how how to get people um, 
in to uh, to see a live Here We Are podcast. One of the main things you can do is to get me more listeners by telling your friends to check out the show. And then once there's more demand for it, it will be much easier for me to put together stuff like that. So I always appreciate all support like that, all reviews on iTunes, everything, um, anything and everything that you can think of to do would be fantastic. Um, and once again, very excited this week, first week of the big tour, a good trip with Shane Moss. That's me. Um, I'm going to read the cities one more time. I'm not going to do this again because this is long and, uh, <laughs> and I imagine not a hundred percent enjoyable just to hear 75 cities listed off, but maybe you haven't heard this list before and you're waiting with anticipation. Are you going to hear a city near you? Like I said, even if uh, even if you hear cities that you think you know some people that might be interested, please spread the word for me. First gig will be October 3rd, Flagstaff, Arizona, then Tucson, Phoenix, Sedona. Then I go to right outside Oklahoma City for Norman. I go to Dallas, Texas, Houston, Austin, Shreveport, Louisiana, New Orleans, Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida, Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Savannah, Charleston, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Raleigh, Greensboro, Richmond, Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Alston, Massachusetts, outside of Boston, Providence, Rhode Island, Skunutskinski, New York, right outside of Albany. That's how I'm... I, I can figure out how to say that word, guys, but... I refuse, okay? So we're just going to call it Skanunskis. Um, it's Schenectady, I, th- I think is maybe how you say it. All right, fine. Uh, then Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Fort Wayne, uh, Chicago, Illinois, Madison, La Crosse, Wisconsin, my hometown, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Fargo, North Dakota, Minot, North Dakota, Billings, Montana, Spokane, Washington, Tacoma, (gasps) Portland, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, Salem, Eugene, Klamath Falls, Oregon, uh, Arcata, California, Sacramento, San Francisco. That's two-thirds of the way. We still got one more third to go. Are you still listening? Bless you. Santa Cruz, California, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, Boulder, Denver, Wichita, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, Memphis, Tennessee, Nashville, Knoxville, Asheville, Lexington, Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, still working on that one, actually, but it's going to happen. Evansville, Indianapolis, Iowa City, Milwaukee, Sioux Falls, Omaha, Des Moines, Appleton, Eau Claire, Winona, Royal Oak, Grand Rapids. There's a new one. Looking to add some more Michigan dates. Been having a lot of requests to get to Florida um, or South Florida more other than just Pensacola. And I'm working on maybe doing that in, in February, working on possibly, possibly some Canada dates. Um, we'll see. Um, if, uh, if you can keep writing me and asking me and the, the uh, more demand there is for the shows, the more I will look into them. 
I've just been very busy trying to finalize everything for this. And it's all done now. And so um, I can I can start focusing on booking even more gigs into um, February of next year. So I'm so excited for this. I hope you guys get a chance to see this show. I'm very proud of it. It's super exciting. Build it up. Build it up in your head if you want. I'm not worried about it. I'll meet your expectations. Um, you guys are great. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are my absolute favorite. I'll talk to you next week, episode 100. Kyle Ayers, I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it, and here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL, the 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, oh my gosh. he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. 